Well, hey, uh, as most of you know, Jamie is out uh, this morning, but uh, we have a great treat. We have our dear friend, Nate Bobbitt, uh, that is in town this morning. Yes, yes. Uh, we've already had an amazing morning with uh, Nate preaching, and so just wanted to introduce him briefly. And he is, uh, Nate's just been a, really a dear friend and advocate for Christ Fellowship for many, many years now. Uh, he is on staff at Antioch and Waco, oversees the training schools down there, and also is uh, oversees their, their prophetic ministry. And uh, a couple little fun facts uh, about Nate is that uh, him and his wife, Jamie, are the parents of two sets of twins. Yes, they are. And he'll, he'll tell you some more about that. And uh, he is also a uh, sheriff's deputy for the McLennan County Sheriff's Department. So if you would, license and insurance for everybody, please. Hey, give us a, let's give a warm welcome to Nate Bobbitt this morning. Uh, <clears throat> good morning. <laughs> that was funny, Todd. <clears throat> um, it's good to be here with you guys. Uh, I love this church. I was just sitting there thinking, I was like, you know, if I ever had to leave Waco and move up here, I'm going to go here. You know, it's, it's just, I feel like I left home to, go, to come to home this morning. And I've known Jamie and, or sorry, I've, I've known my wife for quite a few years, but I've known Jamie, your pastor, and Kim for about 15 years. Uh, and they've always been a blessing. You have a great team of leaders here and pastors and people that lead you guys. I'm, I'm always, it's always fun to come up and see you guys. And, and you obviously also have a great group of graduating seniors. I, I was sitting there thinking, I, I'm 12 years away from this and I'm starting to cry. And these aren't my kids. I'm like, this is awesome. So it's good to be here. I know um, you guys have just done a short series called There Is More. Uh, did I title it right? And uh, Jamie asked if I would uh, come up and kick off uh, another series that you're doing called More in Everyday Life. And so uh, he asked me to talk a little bit about more in everyday life through the Holy Spirit. Probably not a surprise to those of you who've heard me speak before or teach in the training schools. Uh, and so I'm happy to do that this morning. I want to introduce my family. Uh, as Todd mentioned, uh, we have two sets of twins. Uh, so on the left is Tess, my uh, I was going to say my oldest, by about 30 seconds, uh, <clears throat> Tess, and then uh, on the far right is Kate, and the two in the middle are uh, Brooklyn and Brinley, and, and my lovely wife, Jamie. And uh, they're four and a half, and, and one and a half, so you only have to remember two birthdays, which is great. Uh, but the surprising thing is, two months ago, we found out we were having another one, and that was not planned. And so we'll have, uh, in November, we'll have five kids, five and under, and I'll take any pity or prayers that you guys want to throw my way. Um, so when uh, Kate, the girl on the far right, when she was about three years old, <clears throat> I was putting her to bed one night, and she's, uh, she said, Daddy, Jesus is in my heart. And I was like, oh, yes. You know, total fist pump moment. I'm like, I'm the best dad in the world. In fact, there's a song by Rick Pino called We Have the Best Dad in the World. My kids always want to sing it. And I keep trying to tell them it's not about me, but not really. Um, and so I'm thinking that moment, yes, I'm the best dad in the world. And I'm about to turn off the light and close the door. And she goes, he's sleeping. Like Jesus is in my heart, but he's sleeping. And I was like, oh, man, my child prodigy of spiritual understanding, you know, suddenly became a normal three-year-old again. Uh, as she, she understands Jesus is in my heart, but I guess she thought he was going to sleep when she was. 
So, uh, you know, every day we, we get our kids up in the morning and we read them Bible stories. First thing we do, we pray with them and we worship. And I, I kind of feel like probably if, if you have kids this age or you did, that everybody else in the neighborhood who's doing this thing is kind of experiencing, you know, miniature revivals every morning in their home as they do this. And I'm just trying to get my kids to, like, say a five-sentence prayer, stop kicking each other, don't run around the couch and make incoherent noises. I just, you know, just try to keep it together. I'm, I'm just trying to do that. So we, we just keep throwing ourselves at that, thinking that eventually something's going to catch on here. And uh, just last week, I, it was a Saturday morning, I got Tess and Kate, and we, uh, I put them in my truck, and we drove down to our local farmer's market. <clears throat> so as we're driving, I threw on a worship song. Uh, and uh, it was about five minutes into the ride, and I realized things were really quiet in the back seat. So as a parent of kids these, age, these ages, you long for quiet, but then you also know that that usually means something destructive is going on, and you're just not aware of it. So I look in the back seat to see what they were doing, and right behind me, there was Kate, her eyes closed, and she was singing the words to the worship song that was playing. And I... I thought, I've never seen her do that before. And I looked back a couple of times, and she just, just a little four-and-a-half-year-old lost in worship to Jesus. And I thought, yes, okay, they're finally starting to understand what we've been trying to teach them for the last four-and-a-half years. And that is this, that Jesus loves you, and there's so much more. Jesus loves you, and there's so much more. I want to talk to you about more through the Holy Spirit, because that was my journey. Um, I don't know what kind of a home you grew up in or what your faith background was. And fortunately for me, I I did grow up in a home where my parents knew the Lord. And uh, but however, what I kind of somehow caught growing up was that what you're supposed to do is just uh, you receive Jesus into your life and then you be a good kid and you go to church. That's kind of what I caught. And then as I grew up, you receive Jesus in your life, and you be a good, responsible adult, and you work hard, and you go to church. And that's kind of what I caught. I don't think my parents intended it that way. That's certainly not how their walk was. But that was, my, that was kind of my upbringing, and that's kind of what I understood to be what it is to be a Christian. And it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s that a light bulb kind of switched on for me. And the light bulb was this. It occurred to me that maybe Jesus didn't just leave his Father in heaven, move down here for 33 years, go through what he went through, get betrayed, be crucified, and rise again. All of that just so I could receive Jesus, work hard, go to church on Sundays, and tithe. I don't think that was probably his highest intention for us. I don't think that was like his big goal for us, that we just live kind of a nominal, mediocre Christian life. But it hadn't occurred to me until my 20s that that was probably not what he came to do. And then, and then it really occurred to me after I read a couple of verses, like uh, John 10, where Jesus pulls his disciples together, and he says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Or a few chapters later, he tells them in John 15, he says, all of this stuff that I've taught you, I've taught you so that my joy would be in you, and that your joy would be completely full. 
In other words, Jesus is saying, guys, the, the religious model of Judaism that you've had presented to you, I've kind of come to undo all that. Not, not to make it pass away, but to show you there's a better way. I made the religious people angry because I was showing you the relationship was way more important to me than just religion. And it kind of dawned on me that I was a 21st century version of the, of the people that Jesus was talking to in, in the book of John. I was that person. I was that religious person that just thought, well, if you just do these things, that's all God's called you to. And I thought, no, that's not all Jesus has called us to. And that's why he came to show us. He didn't come here just to, to show us that, you know, you've got to believe in me and die on the cross. He came here to show us a more powerful way, a way to walk with him that was way more meaningful and way more deep. <clears throat> well, like I said, that's when I understood. The light came on and I thought, there's something more to this. And guys, when a, when a human heart comes into contact with the reality that Jesus loves you, and there is more. It doesn't matter if you're way down the road on your spiritual journey or you haven't even started it yet. Something will ignite in your heart when that reality lands somewhere. Uh, just to give you a, an example, and this will probably be an example you haven't heard from the pulpit before, and it relates to something Todd said about me. Um, but as a de deputy sheriff, I remember not too long ago arresting a young lady for uh, a possession of a controlled substance. So she had drugs. And uh, I pulled her out of the car and <clears throat> I was putting the handcuffs on her and I could tell as those cuffs started to click behind her back just the sense of dread came over her and uh, she'd never been in trouble before she'd been raised pretty straight and narrow uh, had no run-ins with the law no previous arrest records and until recently she'd made pretty good decisions but she'd gotten involved with a group of people who weren't good for her and uh, who encouraged her to start experimenting with drugs I put her in the back of the squad car <clears throat> and began the 15-minute drive to the jail. And as we drove, as I've done before, I just started sharing Jesus with her. And I just talked to her. I said, Jesus loves you. I don't know if you've ever heard of who he is or what he's done for you, but I just shared the gospel with her. When we got to the, to the jail, I pulled her out, and she had tears streaming down her face. I said, walking her to the door of the jail with her hands still cuffed, I said, Amber, this is not the end for you. This is the beginning. This is God's wake-up call for you. He has so much more. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. You know what? I realized she wasn't crying because she was going to jail. She was crying because truth was melting her heart. No one had ever told her before that Jesus loves you, that Jesus cares for you, that he has way more of a plan and purpose than the life you've just chosen to start walking down. When a human heart comes into contact with the reality that there is more, it changes you. So like I said, my own journey was that I had been a believer. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 18 and uh, just began following him, doing what I thought the religious thing was to do. And uh, it was in my mid-20s. I had that light bulb moment where I thought, God made us for more than this. And uh, at the time, I was actually in seminary. So I was going to school full-time. I was working full-time as a college pastor and uh, 60, 70 hours a week, which was good for me. Let me just tell you, it builds character. And uh, after several years of doing that, I was completely burnt out. I was burnt out trying to be a pastor. I was burnt out with seminary. I thought seminary was going to draw me closer to God, but instead it drew me closer to the Bible. And the Bible is not God. It points us to God, but it's not God. And and I didn't recognize all this. Now, what I'm telling you, I didn't recognize it at the time, but I, I was looking for something to pull me into life, 
You know, Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you look to the scriptures because you think that in them you find life, but you refuse to come to me. And that was my issue. That, that hadn't, I hadn't figured that out yet. That I knew there was something more, but I didn't know what that more was. So I was going to school full-time, working full-time, and finally I had one year of seminary left, and I just went to the senior pastor of the church where I was college pastor, and I said, I can't do this anymore. I said, I'm totally burnt out. Um, I don't want to do this job anymore. I've raised up another guy. I, I think you should pa- pass it on to him. And so they were gracious with me. They let me go. I um, started my third and final year of, of seminary, and uh, I remember at the time I didn't even want to be a pastor anymore. I didn't want to be a, a missionary. I didn't even want to be in ministry. And so, as you can imagine, I was a little bit of a misfit among my classmates who were all there to do all those things. And I'm the one in the back row going, I don't even want to do this anymore. And uh, I remember one night looking out of my apartment window late one night in Chicago, and I just was at a very low point because I thought, why am I doing this? What is there that I'm missing? I don't even want, I know, Jesus, that you're right. I know that you're true. But what is there that's left? I don't know what to do. I don't feel any life in this life that you've supposedly given me. And I said these words. I said, Jesus, if you came to give us life and to give it abundantly, that verse I just read to you from John 10, I said, if you came to do that, then I've been ripped off. I said, because I have not experienced that to be my walk with you. I said, please help me. Well, let me tell you something for your own journey and your walk with God. If you haven't learned this before, you will. And that is that unless we come to God hungry, He can't fill us. And unless we come to Him in humility, He has no place to land. And that night, staring out of my dark apartment window, was probably one of the first times I came to God hungry and in humility. Because the issue is that God is always looking to fill us with more But if we're already full of ourselves or whatever you want to call it, then where is he going to land to give us the more that we so desperately need? And so I said, God, I need more. It wasn't too long after that that two things happened. Uh, One night I was watching TV and landed on a channel while I was surfing. And the channel was uh, just a, a, a service that was going on. It was a famous television evangelist and... I had heard about him growing up, but I'd never watched him or paid any attention to him because I just thought he was a fake. And uh, I found out later that he's not. But at this time, I didn't know that. I just stopped on the channel, and where I would normally have just flipped past, I stayed. And the reason I stayed was because they were panning through the the TV was panning through the audience of people, and they were they were they were singing, but they were doing more than singing. They were worshiping. And it was as if I could look into their faces as the TV went around, and I was like, they're tapping into something that I don't understand. They're tapping into more than I've ever experienced. What is it that's making them so hungry for God? And as soon as I had that thought, the presence of God came in the room, and I just started crying. It was as if the Holy Spirit was finally saying, that's it, Nate. It's a hunger for me. It's a hunger for me. What you see in them, what you've never experienced in your church life, what you've never experienced in your seminary life, you are experiencing through watching this man whose church you thought was a total fraud. I'm going to teach you to learn from the people that you didn't think you could learn from. And at that moment, God started to teach me humility as well. So I started crying and, and uh, the evening went on. And, and then a couple weeks later, something else happened. Now, 
I had a dream. I'm not sure what you're like when you dream, but mostly I have, you know, what I call pizza dreams. This make no sense whatsoever. Um, and I've only dreamed about Jesus two other times in my life, and this was one of them. And in this dream, I was just in a room, and I knew Jesus was about to come in the room. And there was a sense of anticipation, anticipation in me that he was going to come. And all of a sudden, Jesus walked into the room. And when he did, the sense of God's presence and the saturating sense of the love of God filled the room so much that I fell on my face and I started bawling in my dream. And Jesus only said one word to me, and it was, see. In other words, I'm going to open the eyes of your heart. But I just started bawling, and I started crying so hard in this dream that I woke up bawling. Snot coming down my face, and I realized that the dream was so real to me that it affected me in reality. And for two weeks, I couldn't stop crying. I was a total mess. I did not know what was going on with me. My friends started calling me the puddle. Um, and I literally, I just could not keep it together. If you keep doing the same thing the same way, you're going to get the same results, right? You've heard that before? When I came to God and said, God, I have no life in me. I don't want to do this anymore. And I came in hunger and I came in humility. That was the beginning of doing it a different way. And I didn't know what was going on, but God was slowly starting to change me. Um, the Holy Spirit, like I said, is always there. He's always wanting to fill us. He's always wanting to come in and move in power. But it's usually the fact that we have rationalized ourselves away from Him that resists Him from coming. You know, He can be resisted. Um, it's never a good thing to stiff-arm God. You can do it because you think you're being wise. You can do it because you think that's not your personality. You can do it because you think you have some theological argument against it. But I just want you to know, read through scriptures, and anybody who stiff-arms God usually doesn't end up in a very good place. And that's what I've been doing all my life. Stiff-arming God in the name of, oh, I've got the right theology, and those other people don't. And when I humbled myself, and when I got hungry, God began to change. Uh, a couple of things started happening to me. Um, first of all, I, uh, I started becoming a lot more of a, a, like a loving person. I had prided myself on being kind of hard, but just being emotionally detached. I was a very emotionally detached person, and I kind of liked it that way. Um, but God started changing me. He starts massaging my heart. I started like liking people. I started caring about the, the poor person I saw on the street. And I don't know if this is maybe a Texas or Southern thing, but in Chicago, you don't hug people. And I was going around hugging people. I liked people. All of a sudden, I'm like, God, what are you doing to me? How can you be moving on me like this? And, you know, I was just freaking, I was freaked out by what was happening in me, and yet I wanted more of it. You know, that's one thing I would say, is that God can be moving all around you, but unless you have ears to hear and eyes to see, He won't be moving in you. There's a story in the Old Testament about a boy named Samuel. And the story goes that it was a season when no one was connecting with God, no one was hearing His voice or sensing His presence. And God appears to Samuel and starts speaking to him. Well, Samuel didn't know how to recognize the voice of God, so he didn't know what to do with it. Until an older priest told him and said, No, Samuel, next time you hear that, say, Yes, Lord, speak, for your servant is listening. And so he discipled Samuel on how to hear the voice of God. And so Samuel grows up becoming a great and mighty prophet. And it says at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 3, this is how that, that chapter ends. It says this. It says, The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. 
And there he revealed himself to Samuel. Let me put that in context for you. When it says the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, it means that's where his people were. His people were in Shiloh. The the people were around. God was appearing. In other words, he was doing things. But it finishes by saying, and he revealed himself to Samuel. One person. God was doing stuff, but only one person had ears to hear. Only one person was willing to respond to what God was doing. If you're not willing to hear, if you're not willing to be hungry and humble yourself, then God can be moving all around you and you can just be sitting there with your arms crossed thinking, well, that's not happening for me. Well, you're right, it's not happening for you. You know, one of the things that happened in my growing up years is that we took the scriptures and we said, um, well, we don't, we don't see this happening. We, we read a lot of cool stuff that God does in the scriptures, but it's not happening today because that's not our experience And so we lowered the scriptures to here so that we could bring it into line with where our lives were. Instead of saying, okay, this is what the scripture says we're supposed to expect from life. This is what the scripture says we're supposed to expect from God. This is what the scripture says a normal Christian life is. And until my life reaches that trajectory, I'm not going to lower the scriptures to my level so that I can judge it. I'm going to raise the scripture up here so that it can judge me until my life gets into alignment with what the scriptures say is normal. So my life was beginning to get in alignment. I realized that I had lowered scripture. I would lowered my expectations of what God was like. I would lowered my expectations of there being more. In fact, I'd never even heard that word. I didn't know there could be more. That was never a part of my vocabulary growing up. No one ever said, there's more of God. I would have thought, no, there isn't. There's God, and that's it, and I go to church, right? Um, so God's changing me. So he changes me. He starts making me a more loving person. Uh, another thing that happened is uh, it made me a lot more patient and kind. I started noticing other changes happening. Like, I used to be a pretty sharp-witted person and sharp-tongued. So in college, I was a debater, and I never lost a debate in college. But... My, the judges would always hammer me because of how mean I was to the other team. Sounds funny now, but I was getting points taken off for that reason. It was because I just had no sense of gentleness in me. I had no sense of compassion. And all of a sudden, God starts changing that, and he starts rearranging things. And I'm thinking, God, what are you doing? And I don't even understand all of this until I came across a verse in Romans 5 where God says that he has poured out his Holy Spirit in our hearts And he's shown us the love of God. For we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us of the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. I came across that verse. I'm like, oh, God, this is what you're doing. You're answering my prayer. I'm so thick-skulled. Like you're pouring out your Holy Spirit and you're filling my heart with your love. That's what's changing. That's what's transforming me. It's your love by your Holy Spirit. So I decided I need to know more about the Holy Spirit. I started pursuing stuff to know more of the Holy Spirit. And this is what I found out. The Holy Spirit has a job description. Did you know that? He's got a job description. The only thing is, whether or not he can get her done in your life and in my life, is whether or not we give him access. And for all those years, I'd never given him access. So it was no wonder that when I read Galatians 5, 22 and 23, that's the Holy Spirit's job description in us. It says that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Well, the reason the Holy Spirit wasn't doing very good at his job was because I wasn't giving him any access to it. And it was as I began to let God transform me that those things started becoming 
a fruit of my life, a fruit of his work in my life. Then people started noticing the change. They're like, man, you're so different than you used to be. You're like not moody anymore. You're not angry. You're not going to cut me down. You're, you're hugging me. <laughs> you know, whatever it was, like God was transforming me. Well, that was half the journey because I also discovered something else. And that was this, that when the scriptures talk about the Holy Spirit moving in our lives, there's two prepositions taking you back to school. Two prepositions that it uses. It talks about him coming into us, and that's what the fruit he produces, the love, the joy, the peace. He changes us from the inside. But it also talks about him coming onto us. Remember what Jesus told the disciples when he said, stay in Jerusalem because not too long from now you're going to get the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to come on you, and then you'll be my witnesses, etc., etc., etc. power of the Holy Spirit coming on you. Well, I didn't understand what that meant because I had been taught that, you know, a lot of the things that you read in here don't happen anymore. Jesus doesn't heal people anymore, or we say that he does, but really we're just being nice to you, so we're going to pray for you, but we're not going to actually believe that you're going to get healed, and we're definitely going to not lay hands on you because that would be way too wild and radical. Um, you know, we don't believe in the other supernatural crazy gifts like tongues or, you know, prophecy or whatever. That stuff just doesn't happen anymore. Well, Evidently, no one told Jesus because he started doing that stuff right in front of me. And uh, I started running into people, and I just noticed these people like talked about the Holy Spirit, and they talked about Jesus, and they were nicer than me. And that bugged me because I didn't agree with their theology at the time. And I thought, well, why, you know, what is it? And again, the Holy Spirit comes up. I'm like, it's the Holy Spirit thing again. I, I have got to keep understanding and pursuing this person of the Holy Spirit. So all this stuff is happening in me. But I start to get a clue that... Also, when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes on you. So like 1 Corinthians 4.20, where Paul's preaching, and he says, uh, the kingdom of God's not just a lot of talk, it's but living by God's power. Power. Or 1 Corinthians, uh, I've totally lost my places in my notes, but I know there's another verse that they're going to throw up there. There it is. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Well, during this whole transformation, I started going to a church that actually believed the stuff that Jesus was teaching. And so they prayed for the sick, not just to be nice, but because they thought you were actually going to get healed. I was a goofball, but I thought, well, if I'm going to go to this church, I'm, I might as well you know, jump in and do what they're doing. So, uh, so they prayed for the sick. So I remember one Sunday uh, after a service, um, you know, they had a ministry time like you guys do here and and uh, I was walking around my friend Jim, because this was all new to him too, and we saw this guy, Rusty, and so we go over to Rusty, and we're like, uh, Rusty, what do you want prayer for? And he said, oh, I've had asthma since I was seven. Now I thought, that's a good one to start with, you know, because God can handle asthma. I was like, that's, he has a lot of things, he probably, I don't want to, you know, have to put it up, you know, he, he might be having a slow day, I don't want to do anything hard, but asthma, I can pray for asthma. And so, uh, so we, we, we said, okay, well, what do we do? I guess we saw people putting their hands on people, so we put our hands on Rusty. And we just, you know, said, Holy Spirit, come and heal Rusty of his asthma. You know, I thought, boy, that's really not very inspiring. But I didn't know if I was supposed to adopt an Old Testament voice or, you know, what kind of King James. You know, I didn't really know because I was learning. So we just said that. We said, Lord, come and heal Rusty. Well, then something happened that I've never seen anybody do before, and that is Rusty's face started, like, contorting and making he just started making all these weird faces and his his neck was kind of doing funny things i'm like well i know asthma doesn't do that to you 
And I was like, and surely the Holy Spirit doesn't do that to you. So you know what I did? I walked away from him. <laughs> I was like, this is beyond my pay grade. So I went and uh, I went and found the pastor. He was, you know, there's lots of people getting prayed for. And I found him. I was like, you got to come with me. He's like, I'm praying for somebody. I was like, no, you got to come with me. This is a big deal. Thinking what I was running into was, of course, earth changing. And so I brought him back. I said, it's Rusty. He's doing really weird things. And we're praying for him. This is a guy that had been in our church. I didn't know him that well because I was new. So Steve comes over and looks at him and he goes, oh, he's struggling with the spirit of fear without even asking him anything. He's like, oh, he's struggling with the spirit of fear. He goes, I just rebuke the spirit of fear in Jesus' name, amen, and walks away. And I'm thinking, I mean, he wanted prayer for asthma. What are you doing? What spirit of fear? That's not going to help him. But I look back at Rusty and guess what? He wasn't making those faces anymore. All of a sudden, he looks normal and in his right mind, as they say in the New Testament. And so... So we finished praying for him for his asthma, and then I walked away. I didn't really want to know what happened because I was kind of still freaked out. Well, two weeks later, I saw Rusty back at church. He wasn't frothing at the mouth or doing anything weird, so I thought, I can go up and approach him. Let's talk to him. So I go up with Jim. This, again, this guy I was like, hey, Rusty, what happened two weeks ago? He goes, oh, I'm so glad you guys came up and found me. He goes, I've been using an inhaler several times a day since I was seven years old. He's in his 20s now. He goes, I haven't used one in two weeks now. I think God healed my asthma. I'm like, what? You know, I go back to the Bible. I'm like, God, you still do this stuff? That's awesome. And we get to do it with you? When Jesus talks about you have to wait until the Holy Spirit comes with power, he was saying, I... I've called you to do the same things I've done. That's why he walked with the disciples for three years, to show them, this is how you walk with me, and this is how you do the works of the kingdom. Yes, we love the poor, and we fight for justice, and we, we ask God for wisdom for major decisions that we're making, and, and we do the works of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus gets his disciples together after they've been together for three years, and he's like, all right, guys, it's your turn. I'm going to send you out. And he says in Matthew 10, 7 and 8, he says, Now, I want you to go and do this. Proclaim the kingdom of heaven is near. Disciples are like, cool, we can do that. And he's like, I'm not done yet. I've got some more to tell you. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Freely have you received, freely give. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. I'm sure the disciples are thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. The first part we can do. Kingdom of heaven is near. That's preaching. We can do that. Every one of us, where we go to work, or we're at this grocery store, we understand, you know, you can tell people the good news of Jesus. That other stuff, hey, hey, that's a little bit different. Only one of the six things Jesus told him to do involved proclamation. The other five involved demonstration. And there are tons of ways that we demonstrate the kingdom. But one of the things I started to discover in learning about more of, through everyday life by the Holy Spirit was that Jesus calls us into ministry with him. That he calls us to step out of our comfort box and into his box, which sometimes is uncomfortable. And yet it's a journey and it's exciting and it's walking with Jesus. It's just doing the things of the kingdom like Jesus said to do. The transformation in my life took place over a period of time. It took about a year and a half as all these things just kept cascading and God started kept doing things around me and in me that I just had no grid for. But I'll tell you what, the transformation was life-changing. And next to trusting Jesus as my Savior and getting salvation, 
coming to know the Holy Spirit was the beginning of my transformation. Um, probably nothing greater in life has changed me more than coming to know that person of the Trinity. He is God, but the one that we always kind of just put in the back row because we talked a lot about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. And that was kind of our Trinity growing up, but not the Holy Spirit. Coming to know the person and the work of the Holy Spirit has transformed my life. And I know that a lot of you are sitting out here and you're identifying with that journey or you don't because you were raised in a home that believed it or it's just been a long time for you. You've known the voice of Jesus and you've walked with Him. But I bet there's a good handful of people or more out here who you're saying, I'm not even sure what you're talking about now if it's legitimate. But I want to go back to say that same thing I said at the beginning, which is this. God's always wanting to fill you with more. But He can't pour His riches into hands that are full. He can't come into a heart that isn't hungry and he can't come into a life that's not humbled he doesn't have any place to land and he has nothing to fill but if you're willing in humility to say God I do need more and maybe everything I've experienced about you isn't all that there is I want more of you you know along this journey I had to keep trusting that God was not going to let me walk into deception that was one of my biggest fears like God please don't let me be deceived please don't let me be deceived and he just kept leading me step by step. He let me take baby steps. He will do the same for you. He's a good, good father. And he leads you rightly. And he leads you with compassion. You know his voice. Because he said, my sheep know my voice. Listen to his voice. And if he's pulling you into something deeper, then please don't stiff arm him. Because it won't turn out well when we do. Let's stand for prayer.